Welcome back to the cinema, folks. I sure hope you didn't lose your minds over that new humdinger of a film. But most importantly, welcome to Double A CinemaCast, the most in-depth bi-weekly movie podcast hosted by two best friends, Mr. Anthony Dalpiez and Mr. Adam Schwartz. Every other week, a new film, from Alien to Rear Window, and from The Muppets to Jurassic Park. Give it a listen, give it a like, and be sure to tell all your friends about Double A CinemaCast. Welcome to Double A CinemaCast, your bi-weekly film fix. This week we're talking about Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Yes, after months and months of referencing Star Wars, we're finally talking about Star Wars. <laughs> it had to happen. It yeah. was bound to happen. <laughs> so, The Last Jedi, and this is this I think occupies, I mean both figuratively. And also, literally, the middle spot. Same as Empire Strikes Back and Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Um, which is kind of interesting when looking at the grand scheme of Star Wars in general. Seeing as a lot of fans of Star Wars will say that um, Empire Strikes Back is probably the best Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. Whereas a, the same group of fans who say that also say that Attack of the Clones, the other middle film, is probably one of the worst Star Wars films. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, like I, I think that it's not many t- most of the time it's not in a this movie sucks. It's like mm-hmm. these are this is the just what they consider the weakest in a really strong series of movies. Yeah. I said before, you know, I think when we like first started doing this podcast um, that I kind of was like, movies exist in a realm that's kind of nebulous of just like, you know, horror films, comedy films, all that. And then sitting in like a separate bubble is like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that just kind of it's just it's this own thing. Yeah, well, it's like a, it's it's kind of modern mythology. Mm-hmm. Think of the ancient Greek myths. That's how I consider it. All right, so getting into this movie. Yes. So one point I want to talk about right off the bat is the very beginning. So I had told you previously that it kind of bugged me when – so in that very first scene we see where Poe is messing with General Hux. Yes. And he says Hux with an H. And I remember thinking, like, but in their language, in the basic, we see it written, and it's in Orabash, and it's like these hieroglyphics. You can mm-hmm. see it, see, I think, in Return of the Jedi or Empire Strikes Back on Luke's, in his cockpit on this Navi computer thing, when R2 talks, it translates for it there. Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of what it looks like. But I was thinking about this. There's ships, there's rebel ships called the X-Wing, the A-Wing, the B-Wing. So I guess that letters do exist in the... Yeah. It, it, it questions, like... Maybe, like, Oribesh is our world, like, hmm, not even our world. Like, oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. But there clearly has to be, like, two dialects. Yeah, because in Oribesh, I've seen it before, and I couldn't tell you what any of them mean. But it's not like, so here's where it breaks down a little bit. It's not like, this is A, and it's just the letter A. Mm -hmm. And it also makes you question, then, 
I I feel like we're going to jump down a rabbit hole if we go any further because the ships are shaped like the letters that we know from the American alphabet or the English alphabet. This yeah. American alphabet. Your patriotism is showing there, bud. <laughs> <laughs> Those people in England speak Merc. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. And then something else kind of funny that I want to talk about is in that scene where Rose and Finn meet for the first time, mm-hmm. or shortly after they meet, and she's zapped him, and she's mm-hmm. pushing him on that, like, um, like I don't know what you would call like it. a cart, almost? Yeah, a cart. There we go. Thank you. And they're talking about how the main ship, or how they're being tracked through hyperspace. And the main first, it, ha- it would have to be on the main first order ship, blah, blah, blah. And they do this tech talk thing where they both start speaking at the same time. <laughs> that is such a trope in movies and TV shows. I swear, every uh, superhero show that's on the CW, they do this like every episode. It's the one tech person will start saying something, and then another tech person will finish their sentence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to know your thoughts on that. You know... <sighs> I I don't feel too bad about it, because um, I think some people will make the argument or try to make the argument that well Star Wars exists you know in this separate not realm but like you know it it doesn't fit with typical movie tropes but I mean you look at the 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 first Star Wars which is now you know A New Hope and it's the hero story. You take that story, you see it a million times all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm okay. And people are like, oh, well, that's completely fine. But like, you look at the, the style of the characters in Star Wars, and they look like they're from the 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, you there's someone who I'm pretty sure says in episode one, I think it's Anakin, young Anakin says, you know, oh, it's so wizard. And so like these tropes and like common cultural tropes almost all over Star Wars. And, you know, I'm okay with them having this kind of techno babble back and forth. Yeah. Um, it doesn't bother me. You know, when I, when I first saw this in theaters, I was just smiling the whole time because it's another Star Wars movie. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, Oh, cool. Here's a plot. We're going to go destroy the main ship or go destroy the main reactor. You know, so I I was fine with it. I have no yeah. problem with it. I, and I don't have a problem with it either in this movie. Like, the, all the new actors, I feel like, or um, most of the new young actors in these new Star Wars movies, in this sequel trilogy, are just, like, so earnest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. They're very, um, you know, I would say, like, they're very humble. Like, you don't see any of these actors outside of the casting, outside of the films, you know, doing anything crazy or weird or drawing attention to them. They're just like, yeah, we're here. We're having a good time. We're filming Star Wars. And they're really into their characters. They're yeah, really, really great. with conviction. So Yeah, and the acting is just really good. I just bring up that tech piece. Because <laughs> it happens, I swear, every single episode of, like, Arrow or The Flash, mm. it's, this tech, it's this tech thing. And, like, I can always point out when it's going to happen in an episode. It's just, mm-hmm. I just yeah. it's funny. Uh, something I w- else I wanted to chat about is the cinematology, is the 
wait a second, is the sh- shots. Um, the cinematography. Photography. Yeah, I wrote cinematology. I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> Ryan Johnston said that during filming of this, he would he had the prequel trilogy on his iPad, and he would every night he would just start at a certain a random spot and watch some of it. And he said he kind of wanted that to become ingratiated in his brain so that he can put that into this movie. And there's a couple where I'm like, that reminds me of the prequel trilogy. There's one shot in that scene where Snoke and Kylo Ren are talking. Mm. after he's Kylo Ren's taken off his helmet. It's this shot of, I think it's like, it starts at Kylo Ren's shoulders and then goes up. It really reminds me of this shot from episode three, Revenge of the Sith, of Anakin with Palpatine. I think it's shortly after he's just killed Mace Windu, or he's helped to kill Mace Windu. Mm. Oh, you're right. It, it always strikes me. I'm like, oh, that's cool that they did that. Yeah. Then there's that scene, and then there's the scene where after, at the end of the movie, when the resistance has ran away and the mm-hmm. first order is going into that base on crate. Mm-hmm. It's this overhead shot of Kylo Ren leading these troopers. And it, it reminds me of when Anakin is leading the clone troopers to, yeah. the, to the Jedi temple. Yeah. I mean, even, I guess one could argue like the way that those like skiffs move that they find in the, in the rebel base Mm-hmm. that shot of like the kind of camera down and behind reminds me almost thinking of the prequels now, almost like the pod race and oh, the yeah. kind of swaying a bit and the, yeah. the formation. Oh man. Now I'm going to have to rewatch last Jedi with prequels in mind and be like, yep, there's that and that and that. And that yeah. And but that. it's just, yeah. I just think it's so cool how it informed his approach and just, it it's some cool, homages which mm-hmm. we talk about a lot <laughs> yes i think also um it's it's nice to see that they straight up referenced the the prequels in this movie yeah uh, like it's just as much a part of the universe as the mm-hmm. original trilogy Especially as almost kind of like a meta commentary on the writing of the prequels. There's the scene where, um, you know, Ray is talking to Luke about, you know, the the myth, the Jedi and how powerful they were. And he's like, yeah, arrogant guys, you know, these arrogant mofos let Darth Sidious just show up, create the Empire. And they didn't do anything because they were ignoring him. (laughs) Yeah, and they were he refers to Emperor Palpatine as Darth Sidious. Yeah. Which is a name you never hear in the original trilogy. Yeah. So it was, yeah. it was I really appreciate it when they're like, Yep, we're gonna make we're gonna you know 'cause it would have been so easy just to just been like, We've never heard of these events before but then to have that be a whole, you know, major plot point, at least in Luke's character development, really love that. Mm-hmm. So speaking of that, Luke is on this island, and Ryan Johnson said that after reading the the script for episode nine, or sorry, episode seven, he was tasked with um, answering why Luke had exiled himself. And in his mind, he was like, well, I know Luke's not a coward, 
So he must, I'm saying in Ryan Johnson's mind, so he must have think that taking himself out of the equation is the best option Mm -hmm. thing that he can do. And so that's really what he does. He, he shows us that Luke's gotten to this point where he thinks that the Jedi are kind of a big part of the reason why this is, there's been these wars. And so so that's, he's trying to, as the last Jedi just is going to exile himself and die out. And hopefully the universe will be better for it and will balance itself out because he's taking himself out of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, you know, when they, it's, it's ironic when you look at, um, there's one line from episode three that kind of rings true in that moment, um, of the kind of the arrogance of the Jedi. It's right at the very end, right before Anakin and Obi-Wan start fighting. And it's an, it's a hypocritical statement that Obi-Wan says to Anakin when he says, only a Sith deals in absolutes. You're right. <laughs> With only being an absolute. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's really ironic. That's- you know, and I think that that's something you can point to and be like, these guys think that they know exactly what is right and wrong with the Force. Yeah, there's, yeah, you're right. They're being hypocritical. And I think that's, and George Lucas spreads that into the prequel trilogy in little bits that mm-hmm. if, you, if you're watching, you you can catch on to those things. And it's, it's expanded in the Clone Wars TV series. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's so neat. I love this little bit where Luke Skywalker and Kylo Ren, they they have different points of view, but they kind of come to this same conclusion of the past, letting making the past go away, making it die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's, I don't know, is that just Skywalker determination? You know, because even Anakin to agree is like, I'm going to forget my past as a slave. Because I'm just going to be go forward, eyes ahead, most powerful Jedi ever. Yeah. And you see that echoed with Kylo, and then Luke kind of has the is older at this point than Darth Vader slash Anakin ever got to, and perhaps is that reflection that if in this hypothetical world, you know, if Anakin had been able to get to that point in time after turning back to the light, would he also have been like, yeah, we should stop this because this is not healthy or good or, you know, so, but yeah. Interesting question. Yeah. And with, with Kylo, he wants, it's, it's so interesting where he wants to get rid of everything. Mm -hmm. Like even after, he and when he and Ray fight all of Snoke's guards, he's like, "Let's get rid of the resistance. Let's get rid of the First Order. Let's let's start anew. Like burn all of the ground and go from there." Yeah, it, it definitely you know, it's it's a really interesting version of, or it's a, a remix, if you will, of the conversation that. Luke and Darth Vader have on Bespin of that, you know, 
it's clearly echoing that, you know, join me and together we can rule the galaxy, you know, but it's kind of a flip of like, let's just start over and we can make this in our own image. It's almost a higher level of we're just going to play God and start over. Yeah. Which is a little more terrifying, in my opinion, of just like, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I know a lot of, myself included, a lot of people were surprised when Snoke was killed in this movie. Yes. Ryan Johnston has said that Snoke was only ever an emperor stand-in. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he thought the most interesting thing for Kylo's character would be for him to have to lead the First Order. Mm. Yeah, I I think it's, it definitely set up, and I had said this before in conversation, um, I think on the podcast and also off the podcast, just in our, our chats, but um, I was kind of upset once I learned that J.J. Abrams had a some kind of script treatment ready for the last Jedi or whatever episode it was going to be. And then Johnson was like, "Mm, nah, I'm going to do my own thing because I was like, what if there was plans for Snoke? What were those plans? We may never know now. Um, But I think after hearing from um, Abrams that, well, we weren't derailed. We're all good. I'm like, okay, Snoke can die. It's all good. Whatever. It's almost like we get the best of both worlds. And not to say that if JJ Abrams had, helped with the story or written and then directed episode eight that I wouldn't be satisfied with it. But I just like that Ryan Johnston's decision for why Luke Skywalker is exiled just works for me. Mm -hmm. And I worry that I don't know that there's another reason that you could come up with that would be as satisfying and make as much sense. Yeah. I definitely think that, you know, and it, in retrospect, I know a lot of people were also upset about the very opening shot with Luke and Ray, where he takes a lightsaber and then throws it over the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you have, to, I think, that scene still works for yeah. me. I still love that scene because it's, I guess, you know, in a real world scenario, you know, say you carried a knife all everywhere with like a pocket knife or whatever, but then you drew it on like a friend of yours who you thought was like going to try to rob a store or whatever. And then they weren't. And you did that. And it was this whole emotional thing. And this one found that knife and was like, Hey, here's this knife of yours. You'd be like, um, no, I'm good. Right. Um, or not only, yeah. And then the fact where like a Jedi's power doesn't come from their lightsaber. Right. Yeah. It's just, that's a tool. Yeah. And Luke learned that because the the hard way like when he's about to enter the cave and yoda says he doesn't have to bring anything he's like leave your weapon but luke stubbornly yep. brings a bit brings it in with them yep yeah and and so like i went in thinking like he's not going to be like I, I figured something like that would happen i was like i don't he's not going to be like oh you brought me my sword because star wars isn't about that yeah yeah, I think that so many people wanted it to kind of be like, all right, I'm back, baby. Let's go get the first order. But like that in the end, I would have been like, all right, we kind of expected that. That's not new or groundbreaking 
that was expected. You yeah. Know. And speaking of expectations, this movie, it subverts a lot of expectations. Yeah. And I really like how, so Ray has come to this, to this planet. Is it Octu? Uh, yes, Octu. And she knows she's tasked to get Luke Skywalker to find him. In the way she explains it a couple times to him, it almost feels like she's reading off a script. Like here's what here's what or here's what I was told to say. Here's what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. She's like, Tyler Run is strong in the dark side. We need you to blah blah blah. And then mm-hmm. when he asks her why he's here, why she's here, she's like, because this is. And he's like, no. Why are you here? Yeah. And she has That's to really fun. think. Like she just thinks she's. She thinks she's putting all of this emphasis on bloodlines and these myths and stories and the way things are supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And cause it's like, Oh, I've heard these stories about Luke Skywalker and how he saved the universe and stopped Darth Vader. And now mm-hmm. he has to be the one to rejoin the fight and save the resistance, save the universe, stop Kylo Ren. Yeah. And then she, but she comes to the, conclusion her story is just it's so great in this movie is that it's not about your bloodline or or where you come from it's who you are like that's why in that in my opinion when she goes into that cavern and she sees all of the other rays and she does the cool snapping thing yeah (laughs) goes up to that wall that's that that it's almost like the mirror like ice yeah, it's almost like the mirror of Erised from Harry Potter. Do you remember yeah. that? And then she just sees herself. It's because that's she just needs to be her. It doesn't matter where she comes from. And I like how the at the very end when she in, she meets Poe and she introduces herself to him and he's like, "I know who you are." Yeah. Such a satisfying arc for her. And in yeah. it, like the one of the flaws of in the villains is Snoke is so into this bloodline. He's like, "You have the Skywalker blood, Kylo Ren." Yeah. You, you're going to be so great. And that that brings me into another theme of this movie that I want to talk about, which is the role of masters. Mm. Because in that scene, Snoke talks about he's like. I saw and knew what all masters wish to see. It's like power and something truly special. And then Yoda tells Luke, like, hey, you've been you've been messing up, Luke. Like, it's not about your mistakes. It's how it's how you teach the new generation those lessons and they and they take those and then move beyond you. Mm-hmm. And he, I love that that last line that Yoda says, where he says, "That's the burden of masters. They are what we wait. We are what they grow beyond." Mm-hmm. I just think, like, in a super like, um, bringing it to like the real world. So we both have worked in a supervisory role. Yeah. A couple of years, and I remember last year I had a bunch of new hires where I'm like, "Oh gosh, I have these fresh face." people and they ended up they really 
they changed my perspective. And I felt like by the time that we were through the year that they had exceeded where I was in, in their role and things like mm-hmm. that. And it's, and there is this, like, I, I get that feeling of when you are a teacher or a supervisor or things mm-hmm. like that, you have to be okay with letting your student go. Yeah. It definitely is, you know, one of those things where it's, all right, well, it's it's an it's an I uh, not an ironic thing, but it's almost you you have to be okay with knowing that part of your job is to get them to the point where they don't need you. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that it's kind of that, just as Yoda says, it's that burden of like, I'm gonna give you everything I know, and you're gonna teach me things along the way. But there's gonna be a time, either sooner or later where you're going to look at me and you're going to be like, you've been great, but I need to move on. I need to find someone either better, wiser, or I need to make my own way in the world. And you've been a really big help, but I'm good. Yeah. Isn't that weird that you want to make yourself irrelevant? Yeah. Yeah. It's like an it's old like, joke. It's like ego doesn't want to do that. It's against everything. Yeah. With Luke and being a master, he says there's three lessons that he's going to teach Ray. Yes. You catch them all? I caught the first two. I forgot. I don't think I caught the third. It's because it wasn't in the movie. It's in a deleted scene, actually. Ah, I was going to say, like, I rewatched this movie a few weeks ago, about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, the first rule is the Jedi think that, you know, people need to own the Force. But the first rule is no one can own the Force. I'm like, all right, cool. Got <laughs> it. You know, secondly, you know, you need to be able to tame. It's like, I forget the second rule entirely now. The, the second lesson. <laughs> well, I wish I could help you, but I, oh, no. I'm not sure either. I can tell you, the, I know the scene with the third lesson is there's these boats coming in to the shore and Luke saying that it's these pirates who are like kidnapping the women who live there and, and basically they're like stealing their stuff or things like that. So Ray rushes over to stop them, but it turns out, and I hope I'm getting this right, that, the the little uh, people who live on the island are throwing a party and like the males are coming back the males of the species are coming back or something like that and luke's lesson was like we don't need to be be there to save everyone Mm. really necessary that makes sense yeah i remember that correctly something interesting is that in the novelization of the last jedi Mm -hmm. luke gets to this point it's right before luke walks in on ray and kylo as they're touching hands in the hut yeah so saying it out loud sounds so weird scandalous (laughs) so luke gets to this point where he's like ray's right like i need to go i i need to join the resistance i need to go find her Mm -hmm. in the book then he sees ray and kylo and then he gets pissed what do you think about that? Because in the movie, we just see him 
still feeling this way, still feeling this way, still feeling this way, still feeling this way. Ray leaves, really feeling this way. He Yoda talks sense in him, and then he does a 180, a bit of a 180 at least. Yeah. Do you think it would be too jarring to be like, oh, flip, or or he's stubborn, 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 flip, stubborn, stubborn, flip? Um, I think. Oh man, because I feel like it would have shown him coming around a little. I think because hmm, we don't have that scene. I mm-hmm. think that it would be a bit odd if he was kind of like, all right, here we go. Gonna go defeat the first, what the heck? You know, stop! And then the whole hut, you know, flies back. Um, but I feel like it works. If it had, if we had seen it, I would have been interested to see how it was played out. Because mm-hmm. I think it shows that, like, Luke's been convinced, but ultimately this this one mistake he made is still haunting him. Like he, even he himself has not moved past it. Yeah. Um, and I think it would be like a good commentary on like, even our like best heroes, even when we think they're doing good, they could still have like this huge weight on their shoulders. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think be, you're right. I, th- I think so. Yeah. Because when they, after, after that, when Ray and him fight a little bit and he gets knocked to the ground and she offers him the lightsaber, it might be weird to be like, wait, but Luke, you were literally just about to go and join her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's and, a little, little odd, but... And I, and I like that scene where Ray's like, okay, if I shouldn't do it, then then here you go. Like, you, you do it. You Like, the, the lightsaber being kind of, like, symbolic of Luke being the one to take the charge and try to change Kylo, and he's just still no. And then Ray's just like, Okay, then I have to do it then. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh... Yeah. I don't know. Such a a good movie. (laughs) And we haven't even talked about Poe yet. Yeah. I... Oh, sorry, what were you about to say? I was going to say, it's interesting that this movie basically has three distinct plots... Mm-hmm. And it it feels very much like, I guess to a degree, it feels very much like Empire Strikes Back, where we have our main Force user hero off getting trained. Yeah. Ultimately leaves at a pinnacle point in the training to go save someone. Although in this case, it would be saving Kylo Ren from himself yeah. versus saving Luke's friends. And we have the other friends who are off in this chase, um, but also we have this another like a, a third added plot of this espionage, code breaker, you know, all of Finn and Rose's action, the casino, all that. Um, but yeah, I and there's not a, a part of either plot any of the plots that I'm like, mm, I'm bored. Yeah. So, yeah. But, oh, but for yeah. sure. I wonder what, what the writing process was like for Ryan Johnson in writing the Poe plot, because in the original script for the force awakens, Poe dies in the first scene. Right. 
and it wasn't until they were shooting Force Awakens that they decided to change that. Yeah, because I know that they started doing production on The Last Jedi in early 2015. Right, because didn't you mentioned uh, you have an interesting bit because you watched uh, some of the behind the scenes about Yoda. Yes. Um, so it was in. I saw some of the behind the scenes stuff and like the extras on the Last Jedi DVD. Um, and they mention in there how they're like, we're going to bring Yoda back. And we're going to bring, you know, some Jedi back. We want to bring back Yoda. We're going to do it puppet style. We're not going to do CGI. We're doing this, you know. Yeah. Well, the original Yoda puppet is, I think the, the original original might be in the Smithsonian. Uh-huh. Um, so it might be there. Um, in the Museum of American History, but I know also um, they had some of the old molds which they used to recreate the puppet. Yeah. Um, but the most interesting thing is there's kind of like a almost like a video diary of like a submission they sent to Frank Oz as kind of like, hey, we're doing the Last Jedi. We really want you to be a part of this. It'd be great if you could, you know, come on over, be a great time. Yeah. Um, but the date on that video was like May 20th, 2015, the force Awakens had not come out yet. And I was just kind of like, huh? Wait a minute. <laughs> what? It's kind of thrown for a loop there. Um, but it makes me wonder if they were like, all right, well, I don't know how far you've gotten on your script there, Ryan, but Poe's going to be staying alive. So do with that what you will. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And But I know that he started on this script before The Force Awakens was even shooting. So I'm just curious how that changed, when that change occurred and things like that. And speaking yeah. of the writing process, apparently Carrie Fisher was like a genius with scripts. Mm-hmm. Like she helped out writing on Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And Ryan Johnson said they would have like collaboration sessions for like hours upon hours at a time. Mm-hmm. And they would work on the script together. Yeah. It's it's so cool to think that, you know, on top of being part of the heart and soul of Star Wars, Carrie Fisher was also part of the writing process of yeah. creating these amazing stories. Yeah. So. Yeah, she definitely, there's a lot of talent in her family. Yeah, because I also know she she helped with um, the prequels as well, with the, that right. trilogy. So just, yeah, oh, she yeah. had her hand in about every single Star Wars. I miss her. Oh, she's awesome. And her daughter gets a lot of screen time in this one. Yes, she does. Yeah. For reviewers who are unfamiliar, do you want to tell them which character she is? Yes. Um, So Leia, not Leia, Leia's daughter. (laughs) Um, Leia's daughter, Rey. (gasps) Kidding. Um, Let's see. See full cast. Anecdotally, who is she? Like, if you were watching the movie, what what does she look like? Mm, She is the woman girl teenager young adult um in the kind of mustard yellow uniform um with the like different 
versioned like the twin buns almost mm-hmm. um who is working with poe um to kind of have this coup against um holdo but her yes. character's name is lieutenant conics ah we get a name too that's even so better. yeah but yeah she's kind of his right hand person mm-hmm yeah, it's um, it's really interesting that you know we we get this interesting. Um, sorry, I'm looking at the cast list here, and I know in the Force Awakens, BB-8 was voiced by Bill Hader. Wait, really? Oh, you didn't know that? Wait, are you serious? Yeah. No way. Are you yeah. joking? No, I'm not. Yeah. So it was originally BB-8 was going to be a female droid um and then bill Hader basically recorded a bunch of like audio bites that they could just use as kind of like a baseline of what to sound how bb8 sound like and they liked it so much they're just like yeah you can just come on in record all the lines for bb8 um so apparently like bb8 has lines that bill Hader looked at and was reading but was making the noises that one would go with the, that dialogue. Oh, that's so cool. He's so he's the character. So in every star Wars movie, someone says that they have a bad, someone has a bad feeling. Someone has a bad feeling about this. BB eight says it in this movie. Did you know that? Yes. Cause I remember, um, people were like, wait, where's the line? And Ryan Johnson had replied like, it's in there. Look for it. <laughs> But I also love, real quick side note here, um, referencing Rogue One, there is a a moment in Rogue One where K2SO starts to say, I have a bad, and then one of them's like, shut up. Yeah, don't As almost, It's like, not an original trilogy movie, like, not part of the main story, Shh, not here. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, it's, it's fun that they have... Um, that line said by a droid this this time around, who doesn't speak English? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. He doesn't speak American. American, yeah. <laughs> Poe's story is really satisfying in this movie, too, where he goes, he wants to be this heroic fighter who causes all this damage to the First Order and, and takes mm-hmm. them down. But he learns that Maybe there's, maybe there's even more, maybe being selfless and maybe, maybe not flying in head first is the best option. Yeah. I saw a very interesting video on, um, The Last Jedi a few days ago that was talking about the, the play on the male hero in The Last Jedi and how, each of the three main male antagonists don't do the typical male antagonist or pro, not antagonist protagonist thing. Ooh, tell me more. So it talked about how um, this is from a, a YouTube channel called Pop Culture Detective. Ooh. Um, I had some things that I was like, mm, I'm not quite sure if I agree with that, but overall, pretty solid. Yeah. Um, it talked about like how Luke is playing the role of the master. And we see in 
the prequels and in the original trilogy, Obi-Wan is like, yes, I, I will be your master. I shall guide you in the ways of the Force. And That's good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I've been practicing. Um, and then in this one, Luke shows up to be the Han, not be the Han Solo, be the um, Obi-Wan, and is like, mm, no, I'm not going to train you. You know, <laughs> the, the reluctant master. Mm-hmm. We have Finn, who is like, you know, all right, I'm part of the resistance come the end of um, The Force Awakens. And the very beginning of this movie is like, and I'm out. Never mind. Okay, see you later. You know, and Poe, who's kind of supposed to be this, you know, you know, yes, you're right. I will. I am the soldier. I will follow orders. I will do what you want. Is like, no, I'm not going to follow orders. I'm going to be my rogue maverick. And I'm not going to get praised for it. Because oftentimes in so many movies, you know, people are who are like mavericks or, you know, cops with with their own rules. You know, they're like, you really were pushing the book there, you know, Smith, but you pulled it through in the end. So good right. for you. Right. Like, like, oh, like, I'm so mad, but you did it. Here's a promotion. Yeah, it's like You're the best soldier we ever had. Yeah, like he leads this major attack at the beginning of the film. And it's like, yeah, we killed a dreadnought. Yeah, and you killed half, like more than half of our fleet demoted. Yeah. You know. So it's just very interesting that this movie subverts expectations in so many more ways, you know, than initially, like, on a very base level viewing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and him coming to that realization where, again, uh, the when they're on crate, it's kind of mirroring his mission with the bombers at the beginning where all of these skiffs are getting taken out. And he's mm-hmm. like, nah, we need to call this off. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then with Luke, he's like, no, Luke, he's doing this for a reason. He's distracting them so that we can get away. He's, and then that great line about the spark that'll light the fire. Mm. The first order down. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And um, and we got to talk about Rose and Finn. Yes, and the the almost controversial casino plot, <laughs> um, which I would like to start off this discussion right off the bat with. Mm-hmm. I love these characters. I love the plot. I have no problem with it. And the casino, when we first see the casino, it was such a great play on the cantina scene mm-hmm. from both A New Hope and The Force Awakens and Maz's castle. Yeah. Um, I just loved, it's like, oh yeah, these aliens are like the wealthy, the upper class of the galaxy. And a lot of them looked even weirder and more like grotesque than what we see in the cantina. Right. Right. Um, and- Rose says the only thing that'll make you this rich is selling weapons is basically Mm -hmm. is profiting from war. Yeah. And, you know, some people can have the argument of, well, I didn't want social justice or I didn't want, you know, a political agenda in my star Wars, but also like you have to wonder, like if we're going to go that this is a real universe a living breathing universe there aren't just people who are rebels or resistance or empire or the first order um you know 
and there's kind of a joke when I listen to um, Star Wars Minute. It's like, you know, there's like three approved jobs in the Star Wars universe. You're either a bad guy officer, a pilot for the Resistance or Rebellion, or you're a bounty hunter. And you're one of those three things. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. Um, but I feel like showing this added even more so to that I think the overarching message of getting rid of this very, you know, dichotomy based past of light and dark, good and evil. And like, yeah, the resistance is getting the same kind of ships that the first order is getting their same guy. They're getting the first order is getting their ships from. Um, So I think overall, it's just a great story um, and a great kind of meta commentary on star Wars in general. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And Rose's whole thing is she's like, no, it's not about doing damage. It's not about hurting the other side. It's about um, love and contributing something good. Like when they mm-hmm. when they ride off on that animal and they get stopped on that cliff and Finn's like, all right, this is it. But it was worth it to do a lot of damage and mess and uh, mess things up for them. And that, but then Rose takes off. She basically releases the animal. She's like, no, now it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And then when she flies into Finn's skiff, when uh-huh. he's going into that uh, portable Death Star technology thing, it's breaking down the door. And uh, she's like, I saved, or I forget what Finn says. Um, he's like, he's like, you stopped me. Why? He's like, I saved you. Mm. And she said, that's how we're going to win. Not by destroying what we hate but by was it by saving what we love mm-hmm. yeah and i think that the it's almost kind of a going back to what i'm talking about with the um goodness the expectations of our male protagonists he okay. almost goes too much of a 180 of like i'm not going to run away this time instead i'm going to go literally right down the barrel of a cannon yeah you know, and what would that be worth? That'd be worth nothing. Right. That would the ship would go in, disintegrate, and then they'd get fired upon. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and with expectations, then that brings us to DJ. Hmm. A very another controversial character. Mm-hmm. Um. Would you like to take it away on DJ? Yeah, played by. The, Benicio del Toro. He has yeah. this verbal tick. Mm-hmm. And I think I've told you this before, but there's a behind the scenes where Benicio del Toro's working on it. He's practicing it. He's going like, and then you hear Ryan Johnson go louder. He goes, it's just the most ridiculous thing you'll ever hear. You think of Benicio del Toro as this like prolific actor and like very high stuff like that yeah you can make these noises like <laughs> 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 um but so his character again with those expectations it seems like he's the sleazy guy who's actually gonna help him out and make everything right and then he asks for the the gold which is uh rose's necklace that is the half crescent that her sister had the other mm-hmm. half the crescent so we know that that is important to her. 
she gives it to him and then he uses it to break into the machine thing mm-hmm. and then talks about how like it's it's the most conductive metal or it's a conductive metal and gives it back to her so then i think we as an audience are thinking like oh it's the it's the old it's the rapscallion with the heart of gold yep and then in the end he's he's just a rapscallion he's yep. just a, he's just a bad guy <laughs> he's just in it for himself yeah which i I was surprised that the first order let him off, and with all of the all of that money, reward money too, and everything. Yeah. And like he says, he cut a deal. So, question for you: Did he contact the first order before they entered, or did he reveal all that info after they were all captured? I feel like it had to have been after they were captured. Yeah. Um, cause I don't think that he would be able to be like, I'll be right back. I'm going to get some uniforms. And then was like, Oh, by the way, we're going to try to break into the mainframe and then we're going to try to break, but then you're going to show up and capture us. And then we're going to yeah. capture them. And was like, he couldn't do all that, you know? Yeah. So it's probably, they were all captured. I'm assuming taken to different parts of the ship, you know, for questioning. And then he's like, listen, I was hired. I'm not with them. That they're part of the resistance, and they're trying to stop you from tracking their their fleet. So, how about I just get some get some credits, and I'm good to go. It's weird to me that he would be rewarded for that, because like he's still in the wrong in their eyes. Like he broke into their high security ship and tried yeah. to break into that room and everything. Like I'm surprised they're not only letting him walk away. But walk away with the reward too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's a little odd to me. In that scene where they put the like upside down trash can or something on BB-8 and he rolls around, did you can you tell that he's tr- he's trying to mimic a mouse droid? Yeah. That's so funny. Which I have yet to figure out what mouse droids do. <laughs> I'm just imagining they're like the Empire, the First Order's version of gonk droids. Yeah. They just, like, are there to, like, take up space. Yeah. It's like, hmm, this ground doesn't seem quite cluttered enough. Let's put some mouse droids out here and make yeah. some noise. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, you know when um, DJ saves them, so going back a little bit, saves Finn and Rose from Canto Bite, and he has them come onto his ship, and then they have some conversation. And um, DJ is going through and like pilfering from the ship. And mm-hmm. Finn's like, "Why are you ransacking your own ship?" He's like, "Oh, it's not your own ship." I was like, "Finn, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't catch on to that from like the moment he shows up in that ship." Yeah. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Very comical of just how thick-skulled Finn is. Um, like, I thought that was just so obvious. Yeah. Like, I don't think that, uh, okay. Yeah. But yeah. Also, I think that Grand Theft Auto is the easiest crime to commit in the Star Wars universe. Because everyone leaves their ships either running or there's no keys and it's like a, a start button. Exactly, exactly. You just walk in, the doors come down. You hit a button, the doors come back up, you press start, and it just revs up and goes. 
because I'm trying to think of all the cases where we've seen Grand Theft Auto occur. It happens in episode one when Anakin takes the Naboo fighter. He just is sitting there and it turns on. Um, In episode two, we have Anakin steals um, a speeder. Yeah, I can never tell if that's him stealing a speeder or if that's just what, like, the like the Jedi Order owns or something. I I took it as he was stealing it. Okay. Because um, he's like, I picked the yellow one, like, I picked the fastest looking one. And I feel like if the Jedi had speeders, they'd be, like, really slow <laughs> and not fast. I don't know, they live in, like, an ivory tower. Like, I think... But they, I feel like they live in an ivory tower, but, like, they still don't believe in, like, many possessions. Yeah. Um, These awesome but, personal Jedi starfighters. And... Well, those we only see during the war, though. Oh, and, and Attack of the Clones. Mm, mm. Well, anyway. But yeah, so we have the Naboo fighter. We have the, that on Coruscant. Um, I'm trying to think what else. That's it for episode two. Episode three, Obi-Wan steals um, Grievous's ship. Casual. Um, episode four, Luke just knows how to fly an X-Wing. Um, episode five, nothing on episode five. Episode six, Chewie is piloting an ATST. Oh, yeah, and the, yeah, I guess, but they had captured a uh, TIE fighter or something and they fly that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just, you're right, like literally no keys or anything. No way to lock yeah. it, I guess. Just like, and the one that Anakin steals in episode two is, is it's an open cockpit. You just hop in, turn it on, and you're off. Right. Like, no, no security, no like, and with the password or have the key. It's just like, boop, 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 boop. Well, that was easy. <laughs> maybe, maybe everyone on Coruscant is just part of one giant ride share and everyone owns everyone's car. It's just, it's such a Star Wars trope. It happens so much in the Clone Wars too. Oh my gosh! Yeah, just. It's just. Uh, I think that's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. It's crime to commit. <laughs> also, in Canto Bite, we talked about this before we recorded, but Mark Hamill plays that little alien who's trying to put the coins into BB-8. Mm-hmm. Who is named Dobu Ske. Ah. Dobu Ske. My life is better now that I know that that what that alien's name is. I'm trying to think. There's a there's a, a big trope in Star Wars and in all fantasy and sci-fi of just taking words and then reversing them. Mm-hmm. We mentioned already earlier the Mirror of Erized, which is just desire backwards. Yeah. Um, in Episode One, we see we actually see the aliens from ET in the Galactic Senate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the senator's name is Senator Greebleeps, which is Spielberg backwards. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I'm looking at Dobuske and I'm like, is this something? Like, is this a joke, an inside reference? I'm like, Yaksabad, Yaksubad, Yaksubad, <laughs> Dobuske, Dobuske, Dobuske. <laughs> I, I think it's just a weird name they made up, but but yeah, he has a name. So, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> oh and so let's uh talk about that last fight the mm-hmm. the battle with between so where luke shows up mm-hmm. this is really interesting i remember someone 
tweeted at Ryan Johnson and was like, like, um, saying like, you should have pulled more from like the EU. Like, it'd be cool to like see some force powers from there or something. And Ryan Johnson sent this picture from a book that talks about the, that power that Luke uses, the projection power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think Ryan Johnson sets us up for that nicely. Because when Ray and Kylo had that connection, Kylo's like, you're not doing this. The the strain would kill you. Mm-hmm. So it sets, sets us up for that. And it's very clear when Kylo and Luke are fighting, in air quotes, mm-hmm. when Kylo's sand, feet move on the sand, or the not the sand, the salt, you see mm-hmm. the right underneath. But when Luke's feet move, you see it's still just white salt. Yeah. It's so subtle. And then when you I remember seeing it the first time and the people that I were with I was with, they're like, Oh, I knew he wasn't there from this from the salt. And I was like, What? I'm like, yeah, you didn't see it. I'm like, oh. like, no, I didn't. See, I haven't talked to anyone who caught on the first time. Yeah. Like, I have friends who were like, Yep, he wasn't there. I knew it. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So And that's such a that's such a great way for him to go out. And it's kinda of, it's ironic where he's like he says to Ray in the beginning, what do you want me to do? Show up against the entire First Order armed with a laser sword and yeah, going to go? And that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. Were you expecting to see Luke with his green lightsaber from Return of the Jedi? I... Not really. I don't know why. Um, I think mostly because I was like, you know, if he was so upset with the Jedi Order, he probably would have thrown his old lightsaber away. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, I wasn't like, oh man, no, no green lightsaber. I was never that attached to the green lightsaber. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of fans are, were, still are, but it's you know, one, one fan theory I I, I either read or heard or saw, I can't remember exactly. Um was like, so we can all agree that Luke put his lightsaber back into R2-D2, and at some point, R2 is going to shoot the lightsaber out of the top of his head again, just like in Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that would be a really fun, um, not deus ex machina, but like a really kind of fun thing to see, especially if we see a fight between like Finn and Ray and Kylo Ren and Hux yeah. and R2's there. And then cause we know Finn can at least wield a lightsaber, yeah. you know, shoots out the green lightsaber and then Finn ignites it. And then it's here we are, you know? Right. Right. Would love to see that. Ryan Johnson said the reason that Luke shows up with the older lightsaber is basically because he knew it would piss Kylo Ren off. Because like mm-hmm. Kylo Ren's obsessed with finding these artifacts from Darth Vader, and that was Anakin's lightsaber. Yeah. Originally, so I think he's really interested in that, and so. It would piss him off even more because he saw it just get destroyed like forty minutes prior. Yeah, I I don't think Luke would know that though. That's fair, but yeah. But yeah. I- Thing. Yeah, I guess it would. T- yeah. 
that was my first clue that I'm like, wait a minute, something doesn't seem right because he shouldn't have that because right. it's broken. <laughs> right, yeah. And I remember there was some international poster that gave it away. It showed Luke with the blue lightsaber. Mm. I have to look that up. Yeah. but So I remember kind of going in and expecting Luke to wield the lightsaber at some point. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, Luke, Luke has some swagger now. Yeah. <laughs> like all the weapons fire on him and then the smoke clears and he just brushes off his shoulder. Ugh. And then his last line, see you around, kid. Oh, man. And I know yes. that some fans are like, um, for that line where Luke's like, strike me down in anger and I'll be with you forever, just like your father. Some fans are like, so is, is that mean he's going to haunt Kylo as a force ghost? And I I take that line as almost like a mark on Kylo's soul. Mm-hmm. Where it's like his father is, the act of killing his father is really, it's tormenting Kylo. Yeah. And in the like, same way, that's what would happen with Luke. Yeah. Because I, I can't imagine, you know, just like force ghost Luke popping up every now and then being like, hey, boo. You know, freaking Kylo Ren out. That right. just doesn't seem like something Luke would do. No, no, it doesn't. So, but yeah. Yeah. And, oh, how great is it seeing the Millennium Falcon show up again in this movie? And uh, all of the TIE fighters go after it. And Finn shouting, you know, man, they really hate that ship. Yeah. This movie makes me think that Chewie is an even better pilot than Han. I believe it. I that believe cavern, it. that really narrow cavern that he flies through. Yeah. Everything. Oh, the, and that visual of that, like, deep red, you know, the crystals and the cavern. Uh, amazing. I remember sitting through that um, that scene when I was rewatching it and thinking, like, this is in a Star Wars movie and this is so cool. <laughs> Right. Uh, There's so much to talk about with this movie. We haven't even talked about the Porgs at all. Cutest <laughs> things ever. And I love how when Chewie had has roasted one and he's about to he's about to eat it. There's that one that's looking at him with just the saddest eyes, saddest yeah. face. Well, and then he, he lets them come into the ship and you see they're nesting and they're all over the cockpit. Do you think we'll see way. more Porgs in Rise of Skywalker? I hope. Now I remember when there was they first released the image of a porg. Everyone was like, "What the heck is that thing?" Oh, and before the movie even came out, people were so into them. Like they make these huge stuffed animals that's like bigger than either of us. Yeah. They're everything. There's so much porg merchandise out there. Well, you know why the porgs were created, right? Why? So they shot the majority of the um, Ray and Luke scenes on an island off the coast of Ireland. Yeah, it's called Michael Skellig Island, I believe. Mm-hmm. And on that island, native puffins still nest there. Oh. Well, there were so many puffins there. And with it being a national, I think Irish national like nature reserve they're like we can't 
like get rid of them. Right. So they're like, we have to, and puffins don't exist in the Star Wars universe because that would be so jarring to be like, you know, here we are. There's space puffins. <laughs> you know. I'm just imagining them being like, all right, we they're gonna be around the shoot. They like att- attach like an antenna to them or something. Yeah. Oh, they're space now. They're space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they're space puffins. They're all droids. Um, so they made the porgs as a way to digitally cover up over the puffins. And they're like, there we go, that works. And they kind of, you know, act like puffins. And so, but yeah, so that's why we have porgs, because of puffins. That is really cool. I like that. Yeah. Another, so another thing Ryan Johnston said with this movie is that, so that scene where all of, all of the resistance is in the Falcon. Mm-hmm. And there's that shot where it seems like an ending shot. And Ryan Johnson said when they were editing it, he's like, that's the perfect shot to end on. It's mm-hmm. like, I really want to have this last scene. And oh my gosh, I love that last scene. It, it fills you with this sense of just hope. Yes. And joy. And just like, and it's just that subtle, you know, reaching out and the broom just comes to the kid. You're like, found another Jedi. Or even just, uh, I think he's more symbolic. Like, I don't think we're ever going to see that kid again. Oh, no, no, just, no, no, no. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, and him, the way he holds the broom at the end and he's looking up at the stars. Oh, so cool. It just, yeah, it gives me the chills just every time I see it and even just talking about it. Yeah. Because I, I know when I, when I saw all of the new Star Wars films and I was like, oh, we're almost like at the two hour mark, wrapping up soon. Aw, we're wrapping up soon. <laughs> you know, like getting sad and emotional, like, I guess this is it. <laughs> End of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember it ended there and I was like, That was good. That was yeah. solid. Yeah. And where the kids are acting, are playing with those like little wire creations they've created of like Luke Skywalker and the walkers. Mm-hmm. Which I'm surprised how word traveled about that event. <laughs> but hey, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. The sequels have this, have set this new precedent, which I never really seen in the star wars universe before of like the general population seems like knows about things that happen with luke skywalker and things like that like i remember reading the novelization of revenge the sith and it talked about like um people people like like knew all about like anakin skywalker and he was this hero and things like that but the prequels and the clone wars made it seem like that wasn't really the case and like it kind of makes sense if you think about it where like we don't we don't like turn on the tv and see like wars that our soldiers are fighting in or anything like that mm-hmm. you know what i mean like like a a soldier isn't like an nba star or something like that right. like a star but like the prequels or the sequel trilogy like ray knows all about luke's 
story and mm -hmm. and now I, I don't know it's just it's this new precedent that i'm not familiar that i'm not used to in star wars i think it's kind of the same way that like you know you look at the alamo and davy crockett and it's like this man defended the alamo and like da -da -da, all that but like at the time i'm sure people were like did you hear about that battle like at the alamo that was weird Nothing to think about, you know, but okay. only in, and you have to think that like, this has been 20, 30, 30 ish years since the events of Return of the Jedi. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think like what happened 30 years ago that like everyone knows about today, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh man. I mean, political scandals that are still, that have given, come into a life of their own, you know, landmark even the farther back, you know, like the, oh, I don't know. When we look at Rosa Parks, for example, this one thing that happened, you know, turned into the civil rights movement. And, you know, you could say the same thing, I guess. No, not to compare the civil rights movement to Star Wars. I'm going to stop my conversation right there because I don't want to, I don't want to make any awkward statements. Okay, fair. Um, But yeah, like, I feel like Paul Bunyan you know, Johnny Appleseed, these kind of mythical figures which are rooted in truth. Really? The Paul well, things rooted in truth? Johnny Appleseed more so. But, you know, these these things that are rooted in, in some grain of truth, I think, you know, in the same way, you know. And that's kind of why we have Han Solo saying in Force Awakens, you know, yes, all of it's true. Huh. You know, it's like confirming the myths. Like, yep, I was there. I saw it. Yeah. So. yeah one last thing I want to talk about is Ray. So hmm. I remember first watching The Force Awakens and being like, what this girl is suddenly like, she's able to do a Jedi mind trick the first time she tries it. And like, she's able to defeat Kylo Ren in a lightsaber fight. Mm -hmm. But. I'm in a total 180 now. I think she is awesome. And I think that she's able to do that kind of stuff because I don't think that's the first time that she did a Jedi mind trick. Like, mm. if she grew up having Luke Skywalker as her hero, hearing about his exploits, I think that's kind of how she survived on Jakku. Like, she would sometimes mind trick people. Mm -hmm. And with the defeating Kylo Ren, he was... Yes, probably Kylo Ren's more proficient with a lightsaber. He's had all this training. But Rey has had training with her, with weaponry, too. Like, we see her staff, how proficient she is there. And, like, we see po or Finn's able to hold his ground with a lightsaber a little bit. And he he's used melee weapons before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think seeing Rey come into her own, and I kind of think of in a weird kind of meta Disney commentary here of the scene from the end of Thor Ragnarok. Oh my gosh. Where you'd bring up that movie. Um, Odin tells Thor, you know, you, you're the God of thunder. You've always had this power, mm -hmm. you know, and it's kind of realizing his true potential when he's yeah. fighting Hela. I think it's the same thing here where Ray's always known that she's had some kind of power or ability or something 
but now she's like, I know how to hone it. I know how to use it now. Yeah, it's all coming to the forefront, hence the title of the movie, The Force Awakens. And Mm -hmm. her saying to Luke, like, there's this thing inside of me that's always been there, but now it's awake. Yeah. Just just absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah, she's gotten little hints of it before, but now it's it's all there. It's yeah, kind of overwhelming for her. Hmm. Other things you want to talk about? I think we covered everything. Um, oh, real quick, we haven't really talked about either of these characters in depth, but Kylo Ren and Hux. Mm-hmm. Real quick, um, Hux, I is probably like one of my new favorite villains in Star Wars. Do you know his backstory? The character or Donald Gleeson? <laughs> <laughs> the character. Yes. Oh, please Do tell. I, I know a little bit. So basically, um, General Armitage Hux. First name Armitage, last name Hux. Um, he is the son of Brendel Hux, who was a, an Imperial officer who believed that um, clone troopers were superior to um, stormtroopers because stormtroopers were too easy to um, basically be trained properly. Um, That recruiting people and indoctrinating them at an older age, you're already like too old to really, you know, be swayed by the empire. And Armitage, his son, mm-hmm. um, basically grew up with his father believing this, and in turn he believed it as well. And so that's why we have Finn, who was kidnapped at a young age um, by either Hux or his father before he passed, um, <clears throat> shortly after the Empire fell. And the reason we get the reason the first order is called the first order is after the fall of the empire. And this is now Canon. Um, the empire retreated into the unknown regions mm-hmm. of the galaxy um, and regrouped there. And the founding, like the refounding of the empire was basically what was called. That was their quote. This is our first order oh. is to revamp, like re like bring back the empire. So that's why they're called the First Order, because what they're doing is the first order they were given. So. Oh, all right, I like that name so much more now. Yeah, it has so much more, like, oomph behind it now. Yeah. Um, but basically, Hux was in, in charge initially of that kidnapping process to get new stormtroopers who would be indoctrinated into the First Order. And basically would be, like, these super soldiers in terms yeah. of their devotion. And we see that in Force Awakens, especially at the Ma- uh, Maz's castle, um, Maz's castle, <laughs> Maz, you know, that fight where we have the famous now, T- the internet dubbed him TR-8R, or traitor, you know, <laughs> with that kind of spinning. Yeah. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Melee weapon there. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that meme. But yeah, so... Uh, that's and the story of General Hux. That's really interesting. And did yeah. he kill his parents too? I don't think he did. 
I'll have to fact check that. <laughs> I'd heard that. Regardless, yeah, I I know that there were some complaints where it's like Hux is just super angry and yelling the whole time. But like, I was thinking about this. We see him like that when right before they launch that solar beam thing that destroys the New Republic base, basically the their their center or whatnot. And so, like, I was thinking, like, if I'm Hux, like, I just had my best day ever. Like, we just destroyed the Republic. We we don't have, we were basically have free reign. And now, at the start of the movie, you're about to wipe out the Resistance. Like, it's yeah. just, this is the greatest time of your life. And, and also, like, I wouldn't say he's yelling in the a lot in The Last Jedi. I'd say he's more, you know a little over the top, mm-hmm. you know, but also it's like, it's like the feeling you get when you were a young kid, like waking up on Christmas morning of like any moment now, I'm going to get my, I'm going to get my presents. It's going to be excited. I can't wait, yeah. you know? And so, yeah, you're going to act a little over the top. So I feel like that's it. It's in line with his character and we see him calm down after Snoke is killed. He yeah. becomes quickly so subservient to Kylo Ren. But yeah, but also like, look, it seems like he's looking for any opportunity to undercut him as well. Yeah. And I, that their relationship is so delicious because you see that Snoke has kind of been playing them against each other. Mm-hmm. Because when Kylo walks in to Snoke's throne room, it's it's Snoke like telling telling um. Hux, how great he is about like this tracking and everything, but we've and that's just what Kylo's seeing. But we see, but we just saw earlier Snoke just like throwing him around like a rag doll and being super pissed at him. Yeah. So it's like, but you so you can see just like this whole playing against each other, and they hate each other, Hux and Kylo Ren. Yeah. I mean, we see there are you know those jabs between them in the force awakens um but i also love snoke's line about hux to kylo um or he's like you know you might wonder why i keep a rabid cur you know on a leash uh-huh and it's like a cur's passion when you know when channeled properly can be a dangerous tool and it's like okay that makes sense yeah but yeah. but yeah, when Hux comes in the throne room, um, when in the aftermath of the death of the Praetorian guards and Snoke and Kylo's laying there and and Hux starts to pull his blaster out like he's going to mm-hmm. shoot Kylo. But then Kylo wakes up and he quickly hides it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, oh, so... um. Question for you. This is getting into little details, but when, but when uh, Hux is like, Hux and Kylo are starting to argue, and Hux is like, the supreme leader is dead, and then Kylo says, the supreme leader is dead, and then starts to choke him, and Hux then says, long live the supreme leader. When Kylo is saying that line again, is he is he saying that in a question like? You're saying the supreme leader is dead, like in a way of I'm the supreme leader now, like I'm alive. 
Oh, I think it's kind of like... <clears throat> I think it's kind of like um, confirming, like, the Supreme Leader is dead. And he's like, yeah, the Supreme Leader is dead. Because um, I know um, there's... I, I think it's like a British thing or like a royalty thing where it's, you know, may, you know, the queen is dead. Long live the queen. I don't know why it's always like, they're dead. Long may they live. Uh, okay, that makes so much more sense. Because, yeah, that next line is he says, long live the supreme leader, which I always thought he was referring then now to Kylo. But when I played the subtitles, I saw that there was no question mark when Kylo said the Supreme Leader's dead. So I'm like, was that just an error? No, I think it's like, Supreme Leader's dead, Supreme Leader's dead. Long live the Supreme Leader. Okay, it's so like still an ode to Snoke. Gotcha. Yeah, because I think it's kind of like, because they, they wouldn't say, for example, um, like, Queen Elizabeth II is dead. Long live Queen Elizabeth II. They say, long live the Queen. So I think it's kind of like, long may this position still, like, may there always be a queen. May there always be a supreme leader. Oh, okay. That makes so much more sense. Yeah. I like their, just their situation is just so funny to me. Like, when they're in Kylo's ship at, and they're about to storm the base on Crate, and Kylo's giving orders, and Hux gives those same orders right after. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, focus all your all your firepower on that man. Focus all your firepower on that man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh and I, I love um where K- Kylo tells them all to fire. He's like more, more, and, and then uh <laughs> and then Hux is like stop. He's like you think you got him? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really interested to see what their relationship is gonna be like in episode nine. Yeah. Uh, now that I mean, now that Kylo's our our supreme leader, the supreme leader, you know, I'm interesting to see if Hux is still in the position that he is, or if he's now like Admiral Hux or Private Hux, you know. Huh. maybe we'll see him in a stormtrooper outfit. <laughs> oh, is that demoted? Uh, <laughs> that that'd be interesting. Yeah. And Kylo in this movie is is so interesting. I like. I, I really like the decision to have him shed off the helmet. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because, and, like, I think he was using that as an intimidation thing. Totally, totally. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. man, that dude has anger problems. <laughs> <laughs> Understatement of the year. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I mean... Like when you get he's like he's verbally abused by Snoke and then yeah I just oh that scene where he smashes the helmet into bits mm. so good yeah well, that's all I had for this film do you have anything else before we wrap up here I oh, there's so much I could talk about that we didn't even talk about the Rashomon like scene where mm-hmm. it's it's um we see in three different three different versions of the same event of Luke confronting Kylo mm-hmm. in his little hut. Yeah. I feel like we could, we could talk for hours and hours on end about the last Jedi. We could. Yeah. So may, 
I, we didn't talk about Holdo at all, so I feel like we should at least say something about Holdo and then in the episode. I I will say I think I don't mind her character, mm-hmm. although the defiance of I'm not going to tell you because you don't matter doesn't really fly for me in terms of like it's a crisis situation where like the whole resistance could be wiped out here in a matter of seconds just say like we're gonna fly to this one place where we know leia was gonna take us and that's where we're gonna go yeah i can see both sides because also like when does an admiral have to justify themselves to uh what position is Poet? I think he's like maybe not commander because he is commander. Maybe he's like lieutenant or like a lower colonel. Yeah, I think he, I think he's captain now or something. Like, yeah, I get that chain of command thing now, where it's like she shouldn't have to justify herself to him. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's a give and take, but damn that. Maneuver she pulls at the end. Oh. I remember reading reports that some people, like, stormed out of the theater um, when that scene happened. Not because they were angry, but because they thought the sound went out. Yeah, they, they had to start giving warnings. At this point, there will be a... You won't hear sound. It's like nearly halfway through the film. You're going to hear this, as in you're not going to hear this, and it's okay. Yeah. But I, I think that's one of the coolest shots in Star Wars across all the trilogies of just that, you know, building music, building tension, and then just... Yeah. And you see all the storm, the Star, uh, Star Destroyers just, like, rip in half from, like, the residual force of jumping to hyperspace. Right. Uh, so cool. Also, I liked your character design. I liked that this Admiral didn't have to be like Admiral Akbar, where it's, you know, I'm a military man. I'm very, you know, uniform and all that. She reminded me a lot of Mon Mothma. Oh, okay. Of, you know, wearing this gown and the hairpiece and her having purple hair. I was like, I'm here for it. Cool. Love it. I know that she was originally supposed to be this Luna Lovegood quirky type. And Mm. in fact, there was a book that was published a couple years ago that tells the story of Leia when she was like a teenager, like 13 or 14. And when they meet and she's very much like that in that book. But Ryan Johnson said when they were shooting, it just didn't work. Yeah. That would be very weird. I think to have like a very kind of, you know, Oh, we're going to do what Leia would want to do. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I like that she's still a commanding presence, even though she's not dressed like she's in the military or like, you know. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's all I have. Cool. Me too. Well, so, I can more, but we should end it here. <laughs> yeah. So out of 10 stolen vehicles, we talked about that a lot in Stars, out of 10 stolen ships, what would you give The Last Jedi? This is a 10 for me. Is it 10? Stolen ships. I would give this a 
Oh, out of ten. <laughs> we're getting we're getting to that nitty gritty. Wait, is it a nine point eight one or is it nine point eight two? It's a nine point eight one two three four repeating. Um, <laughs> only because I wanted some more backstory with Snoke. That's okay. It. So, other than that, perfect film. Sweet. So, cool. Right. Well, this has been this week's episode of. Double A Cinema Cast. Be sure to check out our other podcast under Double A Productions, Approve uh, Your Movie. We just had our first official episode of Prove Your Movie uh, available on anywhere that you've listened to your podcasts. Um, we had our, our good friend Brandon Ferguson on to discuss No Country for Old Men. So give it a listen. Uh, we'll be posting on there next week, and then we'll be finishing up September with another episode of Double A Cinema Cast. Noise!